This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Glad to have you back here with us again. Summertime is basically done. People say summer extends on longer than this, but around these parts, the beginning of the school year basically triggers the end of summer, and we are at that time as kids in public school are about to get back to business, and the colleges are ramping up to get started again as well. And because of that, our guest on this week's edition of The Clay Young Show is David Tapman. David is a sitting member of the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board. He's also the owner of the Tatman Group, a lobbying firm here in Baton Rouge. And even more important than that, he's a good guy, husband, father, and someone who cares a whole lot about what's happening here in Baton Rouge. We're going to talk about what's been going on here the last few weeks. In fact, when we sat to do this interview, it was before, literally days before, those police officers were shot. And so you will hear our perspective on the aftermath of the Alton Sterling incident with Baton Rouge police officers, but you won't hear us talk about what happened to those police officers because we did this interview before that happened. But David will be talking pretty candidly about what has been done at the East Baton Rouge Parish school system, what his expectations are, and why the EBR school system is so important to the future of Baton Rouge. I think you will enjoy the conversation with a really, really bright guy. And, uh, and, and we'll get into also what he does at the Tatman Group, his lobbying firm here in town, and talk a little bit about what a, lobbyer, what a lobbyist lobbyer, what a lobbyist does. Uh, that, that'll come up in the show as well. Listen, we want to remind you, as we do every week, to hit the subscribe button and share the link with someone you know. Tell them about The Clay Young Show and tell them about podcasts. People are learning about what podcasts are. And this isn't, I tell people, this isn't a radio show that is edited down to become a podcast. This is a straight-to-online audio show. This is a legit podcast. This is where the audio ends up first. And we have it there, obviously, at our website. You can get it at iTunes. You can also download the Talk 107.3 mobile app, get it there. And then uh, you can also go to the website, podcast225.com, to hear The Clay Young Show Got some news about something different happening here. Finally, been teasing it for so long. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll be making that announcement about what's happening here and hopefully get more of you involved with that. All right. So let's talk about schools. Let's talk about the future of education. Let's talk about how it impacts economic development and about Baton Rouge and what a lobbyist does. A fantastic conversation that I think you're really going to like with our guest, David Tatman. And that's next on The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with David Tatman, a member of the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board, former president of the school board, and one of your colleagues who is the president is going to be running for the city council, so you might end up having that job again soon. Dave, how are you, bud? I'm doing great, Clay. Thanks for uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to be here. Well, I want to talk about the Tatman Group. I want to talk about what you do on the school board, but I would be remiss if I didn't chat with you about what's happening in our city right now uh, as we sit and record this we are a week after the incident with Al- Alton Sterling in North Baton Rouge and I just want to get your thoughts about that w- where were you when the news started to break what was your initial response yeah I I, uh, I think it's a very unfortunate situation you know uh, it has uh, put a lot of stress on our community a, yeah. a, a really good community right? yeah and um, 
clearly there's a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of frustration, uh, and there's not a lot of answers. And right. So, uh, no, I was uh, I was actually at work uh, when I first heard about it. Um, uh, worked pretty long hours, yeah. and uh, and then I watched the story develop, and um, you know it, it is of great concern to me because uh, again I think that th- there's a lot of deep seated anger, yeah. and we have to figure out as a community how do we uh, create a dialogue, a discussion to address some of those issues, but address them directly as to what they are, not necessarily in the light of this particular incident, sure. but a but a longer, larger conversation about uh, about race relations about our community about where we want to be um and 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 how do we get there and i i I just i'm not sure that i think that we've seen great leadership from our community leaders uh to lead that discussion in a positive way and i think that's what we really need define well let's talk about the 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 difference between the two sides and the dialogue i'm assuming you mean is racially sit and talk about what's happening here not only in the context of this but the the larger picture that people have kind of chatted about on the sidelines for a long time why don't you think that dialogue has happened i, I don't know you know i think that uh I, I i think we kind of get lost in the everyday shuffle yeah uh but i but i don't think that's an excuse and i do think uh look we have a great opportunity we have a mayor's race right yep we, it ought to be part of the next leader of our community to make that a part of what they're going to do in their term, right? Right, right. And I think we ought to question all the city council, metro council people. I think we ought to talk to them about having that dialogue, but in a meaningful way, not in response to something that, uh, you know, was basically a catalyst for a lot of what we're seeing now. Right. But people didn't just get angry because of what happened. They There's a deeper-seated angry anger in this that you can really see. And I think that's what we have to address. But I, I really do. I think the opportunities here with the, with the mayor's race that should really be in full swing right now. Sure, right? sure. I mean, and, we are a week away from from qualifying. Right. So if it's not in full swing, it's going to be in about seven days. You know, looking back on the way this town has been right before this, the most recent discussion that drew uh, a racial dialogue was over the naming of Lehigh. Absolutely. And you guys as a school board were right in the middle of that. You bet. So let's go back to that because I don't think we've even had a chance to talk about that since it's happened. Um, talk about that, what you heard from both sides about the naming. Of, and and the, the movement was about changing the name of Lehigh from being named after Robert, General Robert E. Lee. Correct. So uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so, I, you know, Obviously, I've only been on the school board now for about uh, six years. Sure. And um, it was Lehigh uh, before I came here. I right. I have to be honest with you, I did not know it was Robert E. Lehigh. Well, you're, I, you're originally from New Orleans. I'm from New Orleans. Yeah. And so, you know, it was on Lee Drive, not Robert E. Lee Drive. Right. So, you know, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of people who came and talked to me that were involved in discussions way back when, when they made the decision to stop referring to it as Robert E. Lee High School and to start uh, to basically as a compromise call it lehigh right yeah. now what that didn't address is is that when you graduated that your diploma said robert e lee high school so clearly it was not the official name of the school was right. still robert e lee right when your test scores came out from the state it still said robert e lee high school right so i think a lot of us felt like it was time to have that discussion obviously there are laws uh, uh, regarding how you change the name of the school sure you're supposed to have a hearing you know we did all those things uh, I thought we had a good group a good discussion you know I, I'll tell you where I think it it broke down into the groups one is is there there were a lot of Lehigh uh, graduates alumni yeah who were very much interested in keeping Lee in the name black um, and white right oh no doubt about I it. saw that yeah. which was interesting black and white right. And I think it was, uh, you know, a lot of them told me they never referred to it as Robert E. Lee. They, right, they, we just went Lehigh. To Lehigh. Yeah. And so uh, there were, it was overwhelming for me. Now, I don't know if that means that a lot of my constituency were Lehigh graduates, sure. the part of town that I live in, but it wasn't, it was probably 85% of the contacts that I received uh, were uh, to leave it Lehigh. Some said Lee Magnet High School. Mm-hmm. But they wanted some semblance of Lee in it. I I would also tell you, contrary to what you saw on television or perhaps in the newspaper reports or even at the the night where the lady just, you know, really uh, lost control and made some pretty uh, inflammatory comments, most of the conversation was very uh, uh, good. It was uh, 
meaningful uh, emails and calls. That were, people weren't ugly. Uh, they were expressing their position and why it should be a certain way. And so uh, I actually thought that the community worked pretty well through that. There were really only one or two uh, outraged voices. Right. Uh, and then there were some, you know, there were some people who were mad at me, but there were also some people who had said they wanted to keep it Robert E. Lee high, right. and I wasn't willing to do that. I was, what, what I think we ended up doing is what was agreed to about 12 years ago sure. when they tried to change it just to Lee. <clears throat> which, was ju- which was the compromise at the time. And coming out of that, that, the aftermath of that didn't last very long. I mean, I think people, had, and there wasn't anything, of course, like this, but people moved on fairly quickly. What did you learn about the town when this was going on? Uh, what I learned is that the dialogue was very, uh, was, was good. It, it wasn't um, someone saying you were no good this or that <laughs> because you were going to vote that way. They were expressing their position in a meaningful way. Right. You know, those who wanted to take Lee out explained why they felt like that that hurt them or why it was not a good thing. Um, the, on the other side, it was a lot of people that said, I'm a Lehigh alum, you know, that this is what I want. But it was always with great detail. Mm-hmm. And I probably had some of the more uh, uh, detailed uh, and, and, uh, and really good email and phone conversations on an issue with this because people had great passion for it. Right. Other than the one outburst and perhaps maybe one other speaker, everyone was extremely respectful. In uh, uh, at the board meeting, and yeah. it, it showed me that we can work together, right? I think we wanted to take Robert E. out of it, right? We no, no one wanted that to be on their diplomas. No right. one wanted it to be referred that way, and uh, and so I, I felt like we worked through it pretty well. What were the? I remember the lady in the audience having an outburst. I don't recall at the moment. But basically, basically, she recall she was calling y'all racist. Yeah, she uh, she made the comment something to the effect of, and I'll I'll just paraphrase that that the whites on the board were uh, racist, that the blacks on the board were weak. Yeah. Um, and that, I don't know, there was something to the effect of white kids get everything. And of course she was removed from the chamber. Sure. I will say that she did send uh, a, an email. Uh, I, I, I received one uh, that was uh, where she apologized. Uh, but oh, I will, wow. will also okay. say that, you know, her big push over the years and uh, is uh, she wants more uh, African-American um, studies she wants the curriculum to be more African-American centric. And it's been an ongoing discussion. When I was president, uh, there were conversations uh, about that. But that has been, she's, it's not like she just showed up for this. Okay. So. You raise a family here, right? I know how much you love your family. And there is this dialogue now, the national characterization of Baton Rouge being a quote-unquote southern town. I watched a discussion last week by some national analysts, and then they talked about the police department. And all I could do was shake my head, and, and every city has problems, and there's dialogue we need to have, but it is a shame yeah. to watch how we're being characterized. No doubt about it. I was... Uh I was out of town uh, this past weekend while some of this was going on, and uh, people in the area where I was on the beach, I was at the beach, were talking about Baton Rouge as if it were some third world country, you know. And of course, we know because our families here, we know that, you know, that there are some people out there. you know, we have strong leaders like Ted James who get out and lead uh, meaningful protests. And he's trying, and you know, as you know, he was just here, he's trying to keep this civil Uh, I asked him in that conversation about the police department and he did not bury the police department and I asked him point blank do you think the Baton Rouge Police Department is racist he said he does not and I think that we've we've got to be able to have disagreements without there being uh, coffee uh, disagreements without there being the vitriol that has existed how do we do that? I don't know, but I, I will tell you, and, and this conversation has gone on, there are, there are some people who these protests are not designed to necessarily protest what is going on, but to, to create themselves as a, a larger-than-life image. They're, Ted they're, talked about that, yeah, too. Personal, uh, uh, you know, the, the politics of personal destruction. So yeah. they're going to come in, they're going to be the leaders, but, but so many of them are not 
uh, part of the Baton Rouge community. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and that is a big problem. Look, I, I, uh, I'm sure that in every profession, whether you're a lobbyist, a PR consultant, sure. whatever you do, there are bad, Absolutely. bad guys, right? So Absolutely. In the Baton Rouge Police Department, there's probably some, some bad cops out there. I don't know a single police officer, and I have been friends with the last several police chiefs. I know lots of police officers. I have a member of my family who wears a badge. And none of them will say that there is 100% of right. the force that's good guys. No, and, and I do too. doesn't exist in anything. I have lots of friends on the force, and I'm telling you, I, I, uh, I think that's a tough job. Would it is want, a tough No. I wouldn't do for it. For that, that headache, for that pay, right. no, sir. But, uh, so I have a great deal of respect for, for the, the men in blue, and, um, and they, they really have a, a tough job. So I, you know, I think these are trying times. I don't think the police officer who fired that shot wants to be in this situation. I really no. don't. I think... Uh, you know, uh, I think I think in the end justice will run its course. Yeah, um, I have faith in the system, particularly now since the you you have uh, the feds involved, right? They don't have a, a bone to, to pick in this thing. They, right. They're going to look at it hard. They probably have more resources than we could ever have sure. at the local level from a forensic standpoint. Sure. Looking at the tapes, and you know, we'll see what they do, and we'll let it run its course. But, but that removes a lot of the political tug of war that will exist if it were being investigated here having it happen on the on the federal level takes all of the local stuff out of it and as you know Hiller Moore yesterday recused himself totally and I've told people this and I'm not ashamed to say it Hiller Moore has been a rock star in all this stuff he because he was out front mm-hmm. lots of people are trying to take credit for bringing the feds in it was Hiller who pushed for that sure. and he is trying to keep the law enforcement community here out of the middle of this yeah. And for the sake of the community, I think that is the wisest thing. Uh, Do you feel like white Baton Rougeans have a, you don't speak for every white person in Baton Rouge, and I don't mean to insinuate that, but do you think white Baton Rougeans, as you come across them, have a feeling of what is said in the inner city or what the feeling is there or can relate to at least in some human way. And I'm not talking about just Alton Sterling. I mean, just in general sure. about this town, the northern part of the town. Sure. I, I, you know, it would be hard for me to, as you said, speak sure. for everyone. I think it has to do with your education and background, right? right? I think if you're in your experience, right, if you've lived in a different community, if you've lived... Um, you know, side by side with uh, African-Americans, if you've, uh, you know, played sports with them, if you've gone to school with them, uh, if you've spent any time or do business in, say, for example, North Baton Rouge, those sorts of things, um, I think maybe you have a better sense than if you've never been there, right, if you're, uh, you know, disconnected from it. Um, and, and it's kind of hard. I mean, we live in our lives, right? We jump on the interstate. Absolutely. We, go to, we go to work. We come back. We shop at the same place. We don't even explore our own communities, right? right? We go right. to the same restaurants all sure. the time. Which are generally con- what's convenient to us. I ask that question because I have been asked that question. And I like the way you handled the question. Bec- and I will say this in addition because that was on purpose. People live their lives based upon who they are and where they are. There are affluent and upper middle class communities in Baton Rouge that have a diversity of people. And in the inner city, there are people who live and work every day without the intention of breaking any law. And we often can't get to a place where we realize that, that there are, there are people who live in North Baton Rouge who have never been arrested. There are people who have retired from professions who live there and who have no interest in crime at all. And I know because I volunteer in some of these communities. And then there are people who are white and live in Baton Rouge who have no animus toward any person of another color. It's so interesting that we don't have just a dialogue where we even discuss that to get that out on the table and then move to a place where we can say, so what's broken? Right. How can we fix what's broken? Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. And look, I, I, I have been blessed to serve on the school board because I've had an opportunity to go into North Baton Rouge, right. to meet the families, sure. to meet uh, you know, the, the parents who are fighting for their children to provide them with a better education, really throughout the district, but clearly people who are just really great 
people who sure. are, you know, maybe working two jobs to educate a child. Sometimes and, three. That's right. And and uh, so I do think that it's nice to, I, that was a blessing for me to be able to go right. and to meet those people and see people who were fighting for their kids because it gives me all the more energy to fight for all of those kids. But I agree with you. I think I think that there's a, a segment of the population, white, black, Hispanic, every that, sure. that probably is more at the core of what needs to be discussed. Sure. And uh, and you know there there is there is this assumption that if you know somebody uh, breaks in your car in South Baton Rouge or or there's something like that, that it was somebody from the inner city that came right. in. And the statistics would show you <laughs> no. it's more likely coming from another parish. <laughs> That's exactly and, right. And they're probably of the same color you are. That's and exactly it's probably right. related to drugs. That's right? exactly right. That's that's exactly right. Do you think there is benefit in the four corners of Baton Rouge where groups of people have these dialogues in different parts of town? Over here in southeast Baton Rouge, southwest, out near campus. You know, northeast over there, you know, on, on Florida, northwest up by southern. Do you think there is benefit in us, I mean, and as a community, having a dialogue in different parts of the city where people can stay where they are and still have the conversation? Because what I find is there are people who are willing to have the dialogue. They're just not going to leave where they are to right. go do it. And then really, in essence, they're just talking to themselves. They're just talking to themselves. Right. And, uh, so I think they're members of these communities who will travel. Yeah. I agree with you. Look, I, I, you know, I, I think Raymond Jetson's done some great things in the community of trying to bring people together, right? And uh, he and I are friends. We go way back to the, my leg, you know, when he was in the legislature right. and I was a young lobbyist. And, but I do think it's, it's got to be a road show. You know, I think that there are people who to, that are afraid to go to certain parts of North Baton Rouge. I am never, I never fear when I am heading up to a school event in that area. Nah. I'm about as comfortable as I yeah. can be. And, and everyone is so nice to me. Yeah. So thankful and appreciative of right. the work that we're trying to do. I think it would be good for the rest of our community to see. To just go other. see that That's right. and, and go do it. And again, you know, going around, sometimes people retreat to the silos of their minds and as it relates to others. That's right. they, they have formed an opinion and it happens on both sides. They have formed an opinion before interacting with people, and there is nothing better than being in a room and watching people almost go, huh. Yeah. Well, I'll be, you know, they, you didn't think it, but it, it won't happen until we're brave enough to have that dialogue. You know, you, you talked about being on the school board. Let's get to that, talking about the last six years. You spent some time at the, as the president of the, of the school board. The East Baton Rouge Parish School Board, I believe, is in its longest period and maybe the last 15 years of not constantly being in the news for something awful. Outside of the Lehigh debate, nobody's talking about y'all. Right. Does that make you mad? No, it makes me, <laughs> it makes me very happy. I mean, I, I would say, not, look, not only that uh, we've got some, we have great things going on in East Baton Rouge Parish, uh, in the school system. Uh, you look, public education is challenging nationwide. Sure. I don't care where you are, sure. it's challenging because of the nature of the way it's designed. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is, is that we have some great things going on. I think it starts with just an incredible superintendent. I mean, the, you know, Man. When, when, we, when, we, when we first spoke with Warren Drake about yeah. this job, yeah. I thought, why do you want this job? <laughs> you can go do other things, but he he cares that he cares he about this care. community. He loves the school system, and he's working really really hard. And he's working at the things that systemically will make us better over time. People are talking about Lehigh, but look, we've got the the, the project at Ardendale sure. that's coming up. That's going to be an incredible uh, boon for the community. Right. And what about Astruma? I mean, Absolutely, bringing back one of the most historic high schools in Baton Rouge. Listen, really exciting, Dave. I remember I was a part of a group. That met with Warren when he was a potential candidate for this job, and I remembered being in a meeting. And I know he tells his story all over, but he says about being, you know, nominated for the job. He said, "I think I'm going to get a unanimous vote." And I don't remember my expression because I'm not thinking about about my expression. But after the meeting, he kind of referenced the expression on my face. And then I told him at this Vips thing, I said, man, I thought you had been on a toot. I thought, I thought, I thought you had a flask in your yeah. briefcase. Unanimous. Yeah. Have you been here? And when he was able to do it and making the case that our kids matter and 
that was a sign. I mean, that was really one of the first times that your body as a group did something like that. Mm -hmm. And it took all of the controversy away. You bet. And you had black Democrats, white Republicans, all in unity and saying, okay, we believe that this guy is the guy to take this shot for our school system. And since then, again, you have been talked about as a system the least amount in maybe the last 15 years. I mean, think about it. Warren, Warren officially took over the job in June of last year, right. but he basically had been the superintendent in waiting since February of, right. of right. 15. That's right. And that has been amazing. And the biggest thing that I've said to people is kids can learn. Take race out of it. You put a kid in an environment where the adults do their job mm -hmm. and the opportunity is there, I'll put my money on a kid being able to learn. There's no doubt about it. And look, he, t take a look at Warren Drake, lifelong educator, right? right. assistant principal, right. principal at Tara. Um, then he moves on and, and is a superintendent of one of the most successful uh, school districts in the state. And right. then he goes to the State Department, so he's learned it from the top down. There are people, it, he, it is amazing how he can walk into a room in black, white, Republican, Democrat. Right. It doesn't matter. He, people respect him. Right. And let me tell you where, where, where he's really making a difference. I, people want to work for him. Yeah. He is a motivator. Yes, he is he a is. guy. They, they want to go and they want to yeah. get in there and fight for him. He's so, a general. That's right. And so his work has been to try to make sure that we're, we've got a good group of leaders because obviously great schools are led by great leaders. No question. And, uh, and then also to make sure that we've got the right people in the classroom and that we're doing those things and think about it you said it he's been here really for a year and we've already seen a change and a climate change a basically an institutional uh, uh, shift right. in terms of how we think about school now I want to be clear. We got a lot of work. Oh, to no do. question. No, no. We're, we got, I don't think either one of and I certainly am not insinuating the job no. is done. Right. But I think now the discussion is not about the distractions. It is really about how do you, you, do you fix it? Let me tell you something. The East Baton Rouge Parish future hinges on the East Baton Rouge Parish school system. I agreed. Parents, young professionals, People who are going to be a part of this city over the next 50 years will be here or not be here based upon that school system. Is that fair? I agree. And, and I would tell you, uh, having now that we have Warren in, it is, it is about finding those strong leaders in the classroom. But I'm telling you, early childhood education is where it's at. We have got to figure out a way to fund it. Uh, I think the last time we did a study, it was an additional $29 million. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're cutting 20 and $30 million out of the budget each year. Right. But the reality of it is that's, that's going to be what really lifts this system out. Um, you know, this whole parish, right? Good education provides good job opportunities. Good job opportunities lead to economic development. Economic development leads for a better community. For no everybody. question. I mean, it's a really, really simple system. Right. But, uh, you know, I, I told Warren, I said, you know, we need to sign a 20-year contract with you because we got to. And he said, are you going to be here for 20 years? I said, no, <laughs> sir, state law says I cannot. That's right. That's right. So early childhood education is so important. And, and the debate in public education now has been about how early do we start educating kids, uh, the discussion over traditional public schools versus non-traditional being charter schools. Charter schools are popping up all over. So let's first go back to early childhood education. That was a big discussion going on in the legislature uh, this past full session. And there's going to be more of it coming up here because funding is a big issue, but also getting lawmakers to go along with it. So you're a lobbyist and you get to see the temperature in the air. And we'll talk a little bit more about your personal business yes, in a minute. But about that, that specific legislative agenda item, early childhood education, explain to people who, who don't understand it what it is and then tell everybody where it is. Well, I th I, here's the deal. I, there are a lot of programs out there like Head Start, for example. Mm -hmm. and, um, but, but Head Start doesn't work through the school system. It works through the mayor's office. That's, That's right. a big change we right. can make right away. Right. We should be uh, coordinating our efforts. The biggest issue, Clay, is that, that kids need to be able to walk into that classroom ready to learn. They need to have a vocabulary right. uh, the, you know, with a certain number of words. They need to know their shapes and their colors. And, and that might seem simple to people, but the reality of it is sometimes you might have a parent 
who really doesn't read or write that well. And right. for, the, for the record, my father did not read or write very sure. well. So my mother helped me, sure. right? But the reality of it is, is that that's what, so the whole aim is to get the kids to come into school ready to learn. So we can start teaching them the more significant things, which you heard about in the legislature was funding. You know, it's about where do we put our dollars. But there are, there are innovative ideas out there. And this is not an original one, but I'll give you an example. There is a community in Michigan uh, that when they work with the, the school system works with the local hospitals hmm. and when a when a child is born they give them a, they put a form in the packet that they give to the mother and the father and they fill it out and they send it if they send it into the school system the school system will send them out things that they should be doing with their children to improve their education sending out resources so wow. that and they follow that kid so so in that situation it's from birth till you get them off to uh, secondary education, right? Wow. But the reality of it is what a creative and innovative idea. They got around, the, they, you know, they don't have HIPAA laws, they're not getting lists. The, the parent has to opt into that, but what parent wouldn't, right? right? I'm signing up for school today. They can send them things that they can work with their kids on colors and words. They can send them now internet resources mm -hmm. where they can go to the library. And to me, that's the innovative way to do it. We're always gonna have struggles sure. with dollars, but, but to me, early childhood education starts when you start talking to your child, uh, interacting with them when they're laying there in the sure, crib, right? Sure. And it's that, you know, showing them the value that music can bring to their lives, working with them and making sure that that when you're buying them things, you're buying them things that create stimulus in their mind, That's right. depth of field, right. things of that sort. So there are ideas out there and there are models out there. The yeah. thing with early childhood education that we struggle with is we live in a society of immediate gratification. That we want our bit, yeah. we want our test scores to go up by X number of points in the next year. Right. You can start an early childhood education program right now and you're not going to see test score impacts probably for five years. And so it's that you don't get that instant gratification, but clearly all of the experts say that for every dollar you put into early childhood education, you get 10 back. Why do you find pushback? I think it becomes a funding priority. And I think when there are, there are, there are limited dollars, you know, you've got, uh, you obviously have higher education, LSU, sure. that sure. system fighting for sure. dollars, K through 12 is fighting through dollars. Everybody's fighting through their dollars. And then remember, Clay, and you've been involved in the school system for, you, you know it as well as anybody. So much of what we do is regulated by the federal government and state that's, government. That's true. That, you know, talk about back, back, I guess a couple of years ago when you were running to get back onto the school board, a big part of the discussion was about the funding. Our school system has about a half a billion dollar a year operating budget. When the average person hears that, they go, what? East Baton Rouge Parish? Yeah, it's a big school system. But the percentage of dollars that actually get to the kids, in my opinion, is off kilter. And I'm talking about in the way of the things that you guys are pushing for now, better technology, more innovative types of education, because we have to catch these kids where they are. You know, for you or I, the idea of walking around with a, I'm holding up my iPhone with a hard drive on your hip or in your pocket wasn't something you could think about, that you had access to the entire universe. Didn't know what a hard drive was. <laughs> hard drive was. <laughs> and now these kids are so computer savvy because it's how they communicate now. Well, if you're using 20th century methods with this generation of millennials, you're never going to get them. So how do we first address fixing the funnel, inverting it some to where more of the dollars can get to the kids? And then how do we adjust our practices to make them fall in love with being in that classroom? Sure. Well, you know, uh, you may have seen the announcement about a week ago about the Chromebooks, about yeah. all the middle yeah. school kids getting the Chromebooks. That's exciting. Uh, and actually, it was part of a, a, a state mandate that they have to test on um, uh, on web-based testing, sure. uh, computer-based testing. Sure. So it sort of pushed us there. Clearly, we need to be doing things like that. Clearly, you're, you're seeing some changes in terms of you're seeing more digital media courses right. being offered. Robotics is right. a big deal, right? right? Don't don't just teach me something and tell me that I might need it one day. Show me why. Show I me. Need it it's a big thing. And and, the, and, and it, it really is. And so I, I think from that perspective, I think that there's a lot of, uh, I think that there's a lot of movement in that direction. And what's really nice, Clay, and I think you'll appreciate this, there's a lot of corporations out there that are so in love with these programs that they're willing to put up dollars to help That's fund right. them. That's right. And, and, and there's been a lot of them doing that through our foundation. Sure. Um, the reality of it is, is that the law provides 
provides that 70% of our uh, budget dollars have to go into instruction. Mm -hmm. um, of course, about a little more than that goes into payroll, right? Right. I mean, our system, How do you adjust that? I, That's it, not an overnight fix, and I'm not saying to you and, your, and, and the school board, the legislative body, that you can go in, raise hell, and then within seven days it's fixed. It's just not the way no, things I work. It, I think it's systemic. I think we've got to look at... Uh, uh, changes, and I, I would say this: there's been a there's been a great dialogue. I mean, okay. Governor Edwards, Governor John Bell Edwards has, uh, you know, not just fallen down on one side or the other. He's been he wants to try to find solutions okay. to help make things work. I think we've got a really good uh, Senate uh, Education Chair and House Education Chair that we can work yeah. with, right? Yeah. But I'll, let me give you an example. How excited would you be to be going to Lehigh if you were a high school student? right now yeah i mean it is an incredible yeah. facility yeah state of the art oh yeah high tech i mean yeah. you that my college was not that nice <laughs> right. okay and so it's not just the shiny new building though, right but it's the way that you, there are very few classes where they're going to go in there and just straight lecture everything's yeah. going to be collaborative approach yeah. to learning so i do think we're seeing some of that and, and right. i want to give lsu's Kane center a little credit they've sure. developed that curriculum uh they i mean we've We've, we've partnered with them to yeah. do that. So those are some of the things that we're doing. But the reality of, reality of it is we've got to do a lot more. Kids love the technology. You know, Dave, I, I got a client in, in New Orleans who's a developer, and he did some work on one of the Catholic schools. And so we went down uh, to get some photos taken. So I go down with my photog, and we're there, a couple of us, and we go through the school. And this was my, and this is years ago, but this is my introduction to smart boards. I couldn't take my eyes off that Unbelievable. thing. And so one of the ladies there is demonstrating it. And before you know it, we're all sitting down watching her go through a demonstration thinking, holy crap. And if you're a kid and you're sitting in a classroom, that's going to get your attention because she's showing us all that. Now, this is this is eight years ago. This this was one of the schools damaged after Katrina. So. Think about where that technology is now. So much so, I'm looking for one for one of my conference rooms here. And I think you're so spot on the excitement of kids walking. This fall, kids are going to walk into that building and it's gonna, the building will be the rock star. Lots of kids are going to be going home and saying, guess what we have in our classroom? Man, what's better than that? Not much. I mean, you know, it, creating some novelty. I, look, I agree with you. The smart boards are incredible. They remind me of like superhero movies, That's right? right? Iron Man. That's exactly know, right. That's exactly right. Over. And it's even it's interesting and intriguing to me. It's and, and I know it is. You know, to our children. I think I think that element of it has to be there. And let me just say this: I think uh, the the superintendent's plan for a stream is also one that is going to make a stream. It won't be as uh, uh, you know bright and shiny bells sure. and whistles. It's going to be a very nice high school, right? I what? need to go go through there. I hadn't been I hadn't been over there. Let's talk about the agenda for the school board right now. What you guys are working on? What your goals are for your body? before this year is done. I mean, you've got a couple more years and then it's campaign cycle again. So what's the goal this year? Well, I think uh, obviously we just passed our budget. Yeah. So uh, we think it's a solid budget. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I feel uh, really good about the way that our board discussed it. Um, I, our board is, uh, I don't wanna, the right word is not matured, but the, our board works really, really well together. I mean, everybody is just- it's uh, more cohesive. It, it really is. And, and there's a lot of uh, dialogue going on. It's much less divisive. I have great respect for everyone on my board. Sure. And I also have great respect that they represent their constituency sure. and their sure. district in a very uh, meaningful way. But the, we went through the budget process and it's the first time in a long time, and not the cast dispersions, but the first time in a long time that we actually where they dug down and, and gave us detail about what we, we didn't have to uh, almost uh, quiz them. No, it's it, it's true. That's Warren, a fair criticism. Yeah, Warren was very open. I mean, yeah. even he he just did such a great job. And 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 look, all of them, Michelle Clayton, Dr. Clayton, yeah. you know, Adonica, the way we communicate yeah. now with our with our constituency, yeah. our customers. Oh yeah, um, everything is 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 in that process was very great, and you didn't see as much uh, turmoil. I mean, like most systems, we're struggling with issues related to retirement, sure. um, health care for sure. particularly our current employees and our retirees. I think what our next step should be, and you know, is that I think we need to revisit our strategic plan. We've accomplished yeah. about 
85% of what we did of the document we put together over four years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time to kind of take a look at it and see where we want to be going because the world's changing. I mean, not everyone is going to college. They're going right. to go out and get jobs. And right. we've got to equip those kids, those young adults, with what they need to be able to go work uh, in the chemical corridor, to work in a, in a, in a, a, a facility, a, a petrochemical facility, or, or anywhere, right, to fix cars. To Whatever happened to these Votech kind of classes, you know, welding, mechanic classes, all these things you took and it just kind of went away. And there are mechanics and plumbers and welders and people who earn near six figures doing these jobs. And we've, and there are kids who would much rather do that right out of high school than spend four years in college. Not every kid wants to go to a four year institution. And we've totally almost taken away that option from them by not grooming some of them toward this. Well, think of the, the programs that Estruma had before it was taken over. Right, I mean, right. obviously, uh, and we'll see some of that come back, sure. obviously. But I think there's been some changes in terms of how the uh, Votech system has grown and how it has picked up some of those things. But, but I do think this. I think between Lehigh and uh, Astruma and mm -hmm. really all of our other programs, the great engineering programs that we have. We are doing a better job of getting those kids ready, right. but we, there needs to be some tracks where kids understand that I want to go be an auto mechanic, I need to do this at my home school, and then when I go to Ardendale, right. I will work in a, you know, uh, a million dollar uh, facility that right. where I'll, because when I was a kid, we just unscrewed the spark plug, set oh, the gap, and screwed it back. Pretty in. much, you put you hook it up to a computer. That's right. Right. I mean, it, it, all of the science behind it is different. And you know, the thing is, for some of these kids, they get out of high school, get this training, and in a couple of years, they're in a profession earning money. And then, you know, there's student debt that that hangs around for lots of people who go to colleges and it takes them forever to catch their traction. And for a lot of people, the wait and the sacrifice is well worth it. But for some of these kids, it's just not their passion. I want to ask you about charter schools. And I tell people that charter schools are public schools. They're just non-traditional public schools right. because they're funding funded with public dollars. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion of charters? in general, and then we'll drill down. So I think, I think that if a charter school uh, can come into a community and provide high quality education, mm -hmm. that, that, that there is definitely a need for that. Okay. I mean, I, I believe that we, and we've have, we have some successful charter schools in East Baton Rouge. Sure. We also have some ones that are not as successful, yeah. right? So I think it just depends on the model. I yeah. mean, particularly, you take, uh, let me go right to an example, Thrive, which mm -hmm. is a, a program that we approved while we were here. It was an innovative idea. Really, I don't think anybody in the country was doing that. And sure. Sarah came up with this concept and this idea. She needed resources. Everyone worked uh, to try to put that together. She has a model now that the rest of the country is looking at for right. really high-risk kids, right. right? So when a charter school comes in and does something like that innovative, I think that is the most incredible thing. I get really excited <laughs> about that. I do worry about when a charter school comes in and they are not equipped, right? Yeah. Their board or their structure or their uh, the way they're going to be set up, who's going to come in and be their principal when they're not when they're not really well organized, I worry about the impact that it has on those kids will go there. Will they get behind? Will they receive quality education? But, but you know, overall, I've been pretty supportive of, of charter schools. I'm not, I don't vote for every one. Sure. But I look at them. I sure. listen to what the evaluator has to say. Right. I look at the constituency that they're going to serve. I also tend to look a little bit to the school board member in that area and say, tell me how this school integrates with, with you, the right. delivery in your area. And that's you usually how I make my decisions. What about discipline in the system? The biggest knock that people make on the EBR school system, and this is from white folks and black folks, okay, because I've heard it from both, is concern about the safety of their children in the public school system here. It isn't every public school system. It's the EBR public school system. Your response to them what's happening with discipline let me tell you uh, the reality of it is is anytime a kid is harmed or hurt in school it's bad yeah and a school should be a safe warm and loving place to sure. be i mean right Absolutely. you should go there to learn and not right. worry about who's going to beat you up or right. anything like that I, I would i would say because warren's provided us some good information on it the vast majority of our schools are very, very safe. Mm -hmm. We do have problems, right? And, yeah. and with regard to how we apply that discipline, 
Um, Warren has done a really good job of going in there and working with leaders and, and helping them understand how do we need to uh, apply discipline. How What's the we, problem? I think that I think that the, the problem is is that you know we we uh, the, there's a lot of laws. You know, when I was a kid and I acted up, they just threw me out of school. No question, it was no big deal. We, I went home. Or there was a paddle that doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. Um, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the right. Well, thing you to can't do. go back to the paddle no. now because there'll be gunplay. That's exactly. Unfortunately, right. That's right. we're in a different world now. But I, but I do think that uh, the work that we've done with the Superintendent's Academy, some of which are doing really, really well, where yeah. kids go to the Superintendent's Academy, they don't want to go back to their home school because they feel loved and cared right. about and those sorts of things. Clay, most of the time when a kid's acting up, it has very little to do with what's in front of him. It no has question. to do with other things. We no have question. got to do a better job. Absolutely. And, and I would tell you, if you looked at some of the funding issues, I would tell you mental health funding issues, having social workers and counselors in yeah. those schools are, are critically important because those people are trained to sort of see those things, yeah. right, yeah. and to work with those kids directly. We need to do a better job with uh, discipline. When people in East Baton Rouge Parish, when families send us their children, we need to take care of them. We need to make sure they're safe. Amen. We need to make sure they want to come to school right. the next day to learn. And and we've got to do better. And we can always do better. You know, that's I agree with you. And the mental health aspect of society is disappointing to me totally. And, and specifically, I mean how we have underfunded reputable institutions that help the mentally ill and people are being turned out onto the streets who have no business being out onto the streets. In school systems, there are children who come from extremely dysfunctional atmospheres and environments, and they bring that to school, and we don't address that. And we're dooming these kids to a cycle where they can end up in harm's way or putting someone else in harm's way. And to be Totally candid, it pisses me off really good because we're not talking about some handout to someone who could do for themselves. We're talking about people who lack the capacity in many cases to make sound decisions. With adults, it's bad. With kids, it's criminal that we don't do more. I couldn't agree. I, look, I could not agree with you more. You know, we break our arm, we go to the emergency room, they fix it. We yeah. have some chemical imbalance in our brain. We don't seem to care about it. No. And I think we need to do a better job with yeah. that. I mean, uh, if you if you think about it and you look when there are cuts to mental health services, mm -hmm. the two groups that are going to get hit the hardest are going to be law enforcement sure. and educational institutions. Right. right. And that's where it hits. And, and you know, look, if a, if a person has a, a mental disorder, you don't want to put them in a jail. That's not where they no. belong. No. Uh, uh, Sheriff Gotro and I have had this conversation. He's like, you know, that's not what they want to do. They're, they're left with no choice. Right. But that's not what they want to do exactly. because they know that the potential for these people to be harmed or harm someone is so great. Right. And he struggles with that. He, by the way, is another great guy who I think cares a, a whole star. lot about this town. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the Tapman Group. Okay. All right. Actually, let's talk a lot about the Tapman no. Group and a lobbying firm here in town. And you represent people not just in Baton Rouge. Your client base spans how wide? Worldwide. Worldwide. Uh, yeah, one of our biggest clients is uh, Diageo, which is a London-based company. Uh, we represent corporations. We represent. We we actually do a lot of work with trade and professional associations. Sure, sure. So Louisiana Physical Therapy Association, the oral surgeons, um, the vocational rehabilitation professionals, the, the mental health counselors. Right, right. Um, And so our, we we tend to work better. Uh, we work great with everybody, but we specialize in working with membership groups and helping them mobilize their membership. Uh, to be able to communicate with their policymakers in a way that they can understand what the implications are of decisions they make when they vote on bills. Let's talk about what a lobbyist does. Well, um, I guess the best illustration I, I, I give is that a lobbyist is to the legislative process what an attorney is to the judicial process. Right. Right. We well done. Yeah. We understand the laws, the rules. Uh, we have relationships with legislators, and when I say relationships, you know, the, they, they, there's not a lot of dinners and stuff oh, like, sure. that, like there used to be. It really is. But about, you have to build rapport. You, you do. Yeah. You do. And what a legislator, uh, and look, I'm going to say this, uh, I say this to them directly. 
most of the legislators that I work with, the vast majority, are really good people who are dedicated public servants. Mm -hmm. I don't want their job. No. They get paid next to nothing. I, no one ever calls and says, hey, you did a great job no. for me. They call and say the things that you did poorly. But So, for example, we start with a committee of jurisdiction. So this year, one of our right. big bills this year was we represent the Louisiana Physical Therapy Association. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, uh, Louisiana was one of only seven states in the nation that uh, did not have direct access to physical therapy care. So you had to have a physician's prescription in order to go see your physical therapist. We were one wow. of only seven states. And so when we passed that, the first thing that we did is we went to those committees of jurisdiction. So in the House Health and Welfare Committee, and we met individually one-on-one -on -one with those legislators and explained why we felt this was important, what other states were doing, what the result was when we passed it in other sure. states. And I bring people with me. I think sometimes think lobbyists just go down there and assert their power. Right. We bring clients in so that they can, and particularly what we really like to do is bring a constituent from their district. So, right. so if I'm talking to Representative Paula Davis from Baton Rouge, I want to bring a physical therapist that lives near her right? Sure. and sure. bring them in and, and let them talk shop, let them develop that relationship. And then we sort of navigate the bill as it goes through. We help get it filed. Now, uh, yeah, let's explain what, what that means and, and just kind of take us through that entire process. Many people have seen the story of a lobbyist played out in various TV shows and movies and, right. you know, TV can glamorize anything. Yeah. Hell, there's a, a popular show about ad agency work. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the Trent's days are more in number than the glamour days. Let me right. just tell you that. But so this, this specific agenda item about physical therapy, yeah. this comes to you. It's on your radar now. And a client wants to do something about that. Right. So what is step number one? Step number one is that the organization makes a decision within their board, within their leadership, and says, we think this is important. This is something we want to do. Okay. And so they meet with me, and we talk about what, you know, what different paths we want to use um, to get a bill introduced in the legislature okay. you have to find an author right a, a legislator that's right so a ted james first in the house, house. well yeah. he, well i guess it depends it depends so yeah our physical therapy bill actually started, started in the senate okay in the senate now, it's a good that's a good point though yeah. you get it if it's a revenue raising measure right it must start in the house that's right so you see that's what lobbyists do right. we know those sorts of things and we go in and do that but we uh we actually found an author in the house uh representative bernard labaf from mm -hmm. uh, bill platt yeah who on who's a he's been a healthcare advocate for a long time and he was very supportive and then senator fred mills in the senate uh, right. from bro bridge yeah. and uh basically we went to him and said look here's the language that we would like to have in a bill um this is why we want it and we've got to sell him too right sure but we've also got to ask him are you going to be our advocate sure. are you going to go out there and fight for us and so um and and then the, he looks at it he says i like this i might not like that i think this is good and then they get it to staff staff okay. Um, they, they do what they call draft it. Right. And then they introduce it. Right. And then it gets a bill number. Right. And then once it gets a bill number, uh, and I'll go through the quick version sure. of it, when it gets a bill number, it will be scheduled, it will be referred to a committee of jurisdiction. So if it's a health care bill, health and welfare. If it's mm -hmm. an insurance bill, insurance. Mm -hmm. If it's a, a labor bill, uh, the labor committee. Sure. So on and so forth. And then you get a hearing. And that is actually in the process the only time that the public has an opportunity to speak on legislative matters. That's right. You can go into anybody listening to the show, anybody on any issue they want. When they're in session, they can go into a committee hearing, right. fill out a card, and they, they can decide if they want to testify, and they will be called up. Which is a wonderful experience for people to either watch or participate in. And pe most people don't even know that they have that legal right and you do uh just as a sidebar and we'll jump back in this past year my youngest who will be a ninth grader this year his class got a chance to go sit in a couple of uh, we saw you there that's right, that's right. we saw you at that's the right. capitol that's then right. and those kids were blown away yes. they were blown away i didn't i didn't know that they would react the way that they did i was just popping in for a little while and leaving and i stayed longer than i planned on it because I was so fascinated at their reaction to this about how great it was, them going up to the observation uh, floor of the Capitol and the pride they had of being there. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is something more kids probably should be doing to see that. Now, going back to where you are, now yes. you get into committee. 
so you get, you get in a committee, and at, at, that, at any point in the process, bills can be amended, killed, passed. Killed means defeated. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, what will happen is, you know, you, you, so in our situation, we went up and said, told the committee why we needed this, why it was good for Louisiana, right. why it was good for people. Um, the other side came up and said, you know, that it was really bad for people and it was going to cause all these problems. And then, uh, you know, that some amendments flew around and so on and so forth. But at some point we go up there and close and the committee votes and they voted and we got the bill out. Um, and then when the bill gets out of committee, it goes to the full floor. That's discussion. right. And full that, floor, meaning what in whatever, whatever chamber body. it's in, that right. entire body gets to vote. So on So the it. Senate uh, Senate floor debate was a lot less than we thought. It yeah. kind of came out a lot better than came out with, I think, 31 out of uh, 39 votes. Right. Um, it was a good debate, though, um, when then it crosses the chamber. So if it's a House bill, it goes to the Senate. If it's a Senate bill, it goes back. So, over. From, a, so from 39 to 105 now. That's right. And um, so the first step was the House Health and Welfare Committee, which is our biggest challenge. Right. Our biggest challenge was that committee. It's always been a very difficult one for issues like this. We had a very lengthy debate. Uh, again, the public had a chance to weigh in. It was interesting. Some people came there that we really didn't expect. Um, but part of my job is to make sure that, so if I'm there talking to legislators every day, if they say, well, David, you know, we don't know, but we need to know how widgets work in this process, or we need to know how this works in the process, it's my job to make sure that my testimony reflects that. Right. And so I help coordinate that testimony. But we had a doctor, Dr. Meredith Warner from here in Baton Rouge, mm -hmm. come in. She was the most powerful uh, witness that we had. She was incredible. And uh, she was a, she had spent four years in the military. She They used direct access in the military. Wow. And she was very plain spoken. And she said nobody wants to get people back on their feet and back at work quicker than we do. That's right. And uh, so anyway, it passed the House committee, took some amendments. We knew that. It's a negotiation process and then uh, went to the full House floor, and it actually came out of there very easily as well. Now, because it took an amendment in one of the committees, it had to go back for concurrence, Yeah, uh, and it did. It Which was, means in the House, if it's changed, it's got to go back to the Senate so that they can vote on the bill with the change. Right, and if they want to keep it, which we wanted them to. Yeah. Uh, they concur. If they don't, they can reject it, put it in a conference committee. Right. And then they keep working on it. Right. Uh, after that, the bill uh, is signed by the president and the speaker, and it goes to the governor for action. The governor has, depending on when he receives it, uh, 20 days to either sign it, right. uh, veto it, or he can let it run and let it become uh, law without uh, action. Right. He signed it, I think, maybe about six days after he had it. So I know you're having a hell of a lot of fun. Because I can tell as you're talking about this. Well, that was a good one. That's one of the good ones. Yeah. So uh, for, for a younger person, because uh, I get college kids who listen to this show as well. I guess they got nothing better to sure. do, I guess. But for some kid who's, uh, I'm just joking about that. But for some person who's thinking about that, maybe wanting to investigate being a lobbyist or, or you know, take a look at that as a career path, because it is one. Mm -hmm. And it is one that, as, as respectable because of what you get to be a part of, what would you say? Well, what I would say is uh, that we always need good lobbyists, right? And I, I think it is important. There is no uh, going and getting a degree in political science is not going to make you a great lobbyist. Oh, no. And actually, that has nothing to do with sure. it. But generally speaking, people who are in poli-sci are those who are hyper-attentive right. uh, to politics. Yeah. But it could be it could be any profession sure. so and wanting to move and I'll go to it. I'll give you a good uh, example. I'm not a lawyer. Sure. Most people think you have to be a lawyer sure. to be a lawyer. Well, that's not true. Right. And uh, but the reality of it is, is that I would recommend to young people that are interested in that, that that they get their feet wet a little bit, perhaps mm -hmm. while they're going through college. Sure. Come in, be a page. Sure. Uh, there are a lot of lobbyists yeah. who are pages. I saw a bunch of the pages. We met a few of them yeah. when the kids did the tour. Um, our firm does uh, internships. Yeah. And so usually we have two a year. And uh, right now, two of our interns from past years are now full time employees that lobby. Excellent. And, you know, it takes a while to build your trade up. Yeah. You're, just like any profession, sure. it's going to take years. But, you know, if you're good two, three years down the road, all of a sudden you, you're, you know, you're, you're feeling comfortable right. with it. Now, what I do want to say is it is not that it is not glamorous like the television. Oh, shows. absolutely. And yeah. In fact, it's a lot of long hours sure. uh, standing in the back waiting. Right. Uh, it's a lot of uh, sitting through committee hearings. Right. Uh, sometimes you uh, you deal with things that are pretty unpleasant. Mm -hmm. um, but but I will tell you, it's rewarding because I represent clients. Right. And I care about those clients as if I I want to win that issue for those clients Man, as I can much relate. As, as I do for myself. Absolutely. Right? And uh, and and the other thing is, is I'm fortunate. I have a great 
for, for clients. Yeah. I mean, they really are uh, uh, great people, reasonable people. Man. And I want to go back. That to makes something. a difference, though, well, right? You, you said something earlier. I, we, even in the physical therapy issue, we always try to go to talk to our opponents and say, how do we work this out right. in a way that's a win-win? Right. Well, as a lobbyist, it's hard for me to get my clients to go along with that because they want to, they just, they want to go. Yeah. And what you say is a worked out solution is going to be a much more well thought out solution. Right. And instead of it being everybody mad at you equally, right. it's a win-win. Right. And we really work toward that. And so the, that's how you win. Well, those are, those are feel good situations right. for me too. But I, uh, I think it's a great profession. I think sometimes, uh, we're, uh, we're picked on a little bit uh, because, you know, I think, uh, what was it? I think both of the presidential candidates have already said it's the lobbyists that control Washington. Well, they say that in front of the cameras and the right. microphones, but that's not what they really feel. Right. I mean, you get the other side of this because you're an elected that lots of things that many electeds say in front of the public, they don't really believe. Well, and let's be clear. Legislators are not going to do anything that is not within what their constituents want. That's right. They are going to work hard because they want to be reelected, right? They want to move on to the next right. uh, position. And so I, I really, I just, I think what we're there to do is to provide data and information. And I can tell you when I started back in 1990, yeah. uh, it was different. I sure. mean, you had two minutes, you, you word search. Right. Who, no one knew what nope. that was. We read everything. Right. We walked with folders. You know, was no Google. That's right, three feet high. <laughs> now, when you go to a legislature, and say, Clay, I want you to vote for, Representative Clay, I want you to vote for my physical therapy bill, they're going to say, well, why? What, what is this going to do? And you'll say, because they're doing it in Michigan, it works. They'll say, get me that information. I want to look at it. Right. And they really do weigh it. So yeah. I, I like it more. I feel almost yeah. like a researcher. Right. Uh, you know. Which is fun. And, you know, it, it, I tell you something, reading bills all the time, uh, and I know you do it a whole lot more than I do it, it's still, you have to build up a tolerance to it, man, because in the beginning, it's like, dear God. And, you know, the digest is a great summary. Digest is a summarized portion of the bill, but often it leaves out an expanded context that you kind of need when you're doing what you're doing or trying to understand it. You know, in my days of doing radio every day and I had to read those, man, it's but I always wanted to know because I didn't always trust and no shot to the newspaper. I didn't always trust that the full context was going to be in the paper. I mean, hell, how could you when some of these bills are so many pages long or they're amended in committee? Or, and right. They change and, and they change. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the that's what we do. That's our job is to protect that. client. How, how can people reach you if they have more questions about the Tapman group? And I encourage people who may be interested sure. to call you. Uh, and obviously on the school board, people know how to reach sure. you, but how can they contact you at your business? Well, um, uh, my, my email address, my personal email address is david at tatmangroup.com. Uh, my uh, office phone number is 225-767-7640. Uh, if you can't find that, if you just Google David that's, Tapman. That's what people do. My son will come up first because he's a really good football player, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I come up next. I'm the, old, I'm the old guy. If you see a, a young, good-looking guy, that's my that's, son. That's, that's right. <laughs> Listen, would you do this in the We are about a month away from the beginning of the 16-17 school year. Um, back end of August, can we talk again? Love to, man. Just Love about to. what's what the year is going to look like, you bet. what your goals are. And I'm going to try to get Drake in here as well. We've been talking about it forever. Maybe I get the both of you in. And I'll ask you this as a final question going out. Barbara Freiberg is going to be running for a, a John Delgado's soon-to-be-vacated council seat because he's running for mayor. If they come to you to ask you to, continue, to consider being president again, would you consider it? I would consider it. I, I will always do every and anything that I can to try to help this school system um, and I'm happy to do it. Sure. I, I do. I do think that there are some good leaders on that board. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I'll give you an example. Evelyn has done a great job as a vice Absolutely. president. I mean, she has been super. And Sweet so, you know, lady, too. She is. And, you know, if she doesn't want that or other people don't want it, uh, there's some good people on the board yeah. uh, that are doing really good things. Sure. I just want to make sure whoever the next president is uh, leads. Uh, not Because, I, look, I think Barbara's been a great president, sure. a lifelong educator. Sure. She gets it. She understands it. But we need to do some structural things like we talked about with the strategic planning right. uh, process. And uh, and clearly, uh, I, I think we
we have the kind of board right now to where we will figure out um, who the most natural selection is for president. And right. I think it won't be controversial. I'm hopeful. And I certainly will be there to help in any way that I can. And like I told Barbara when she took back over as president, I said, you know, I am here any day, every day that you need me. You call me, and she calls me a lot. Right? And, <laughs> and I'm um, sure those conversations are not brief. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Barbara. <laughs> I just think that if the Lehigh kerfuffle is any indication, I, I do believe you guys are in a great place because even though there were heated moments the board was not fractured as a result of that and you came to a conclusion. So if if that is an example, you guys are in a good spot. I agree. So I you know I'm I, hopeful. I, well I am too and I, I am hopeful for the school system because as we both agreed, what Baton Rouge will look like in the future this school system has a great deal to do with that. Look, I pray for those teachers, those uh, administrators, and those kids and their families every day because that's what we're here for. We're not here for a presidency or a board spot, or we're trying to help those kids have a better opportunity at life and their families. And if we can give them that, then we can change the world, right? We want, I won't be here when that happens, right. but, but if we can change, if the kid who's in first grade right now goes all the way through and I'm long gone and retired somewhere sure. in Belize or something, yeah. uh, and that kid comes up and becomes the next mayor of Baton Rouge or uh, the next Clay Young, Oof. right? Uh, the reality of it is, is that if they're out there making a good living and contributing to their community, that's what my that's job is. That's what there. matters. That's right. David, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks Thank for being you, on buddy. the show. Thank you, buddy. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with David Tatman. Told you he was a good guy. Talked about what lobbyists do and their impact on legislation, but more importantly, what's happening with the East Baton Rouge Parish school year. And I enjoyed that. I always enjoy talking with any of the board members about what's happening. We'll try to get uh, one or two of the Bessie members on here as well. We're also working out getting Congressman Garrett Graves on the air. Uh, We are working on talking with the mayoral candidates. We have one interview in the can with one candidate. We just scheduled another one today, and there will be more. So pay attention. More information is coming up. You can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR, or you can follow me on Facebook to find out what I think. I don't do a whole lot of posting. I know that's counterintuitive to what people do with social media, but I don't know. It's just who I am. But I encourage you, because I enjoy what many of you say on social media. It's just not my speed to tweet every 35 seconds. And no, I don't Snapchat. Until next time, download that Talk 107.3 mobile app. Get the show there. Hit the subscribe button. Follow us on iTunes. You can just punch in Podcast 225 and get the show there. Or log on to the website, podcast225.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.